You're listening to teaching from the Word of God, provided by Black Forest Chapel. This is the church where you will find biblical teaching and authentic worship with family and friends. We are located in Black Forest near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We invite you to join us this Sunday. Find our location, worship times, and more at blackforestchapel.org. If you have your Bibles, we'll be starting in Exodus 20. As you know, we don't spend as much time in there these days because we're going through one verse at a time. We're in the Ten Commandments, and then we're moving around a bit. But I invite you to start with me in Exodus 20, and um, we'll continue on in our study of the book of Exodus. Uh, Let's pray as we open God's Word this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your presence always. You promise never to leave us, never forsake us, Lord. You are a God who saves, Lord, by your grace and mercy through the cross, sent your Son to die for our sins. And so as we put our faith in Jesus, we have been forgiven of our sins. The blood of Christ has caused your wrath to pass over us. The perfect Lamb has been slain. And so he has atoned for our sins, Lord, and we can walk now freely as your as your children, as your sons and as your daughters. and We have the promise of eternity with you in heaven forever. And, and Lord, there's, there's, it's, hard to, it's hard to understand that completely. It's hard to accept it sometimes for us. We, we have trouble accepting gifts in general, Lord. And, and this is um, an eternal gift that we can never repay, we can never earn. And so thank you, Lord. And I pray that you would just teach us this morning out of a heart of gratitude um, as your children and through the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells us now through your promise. We ask that you would help us to receive from you, to to hear from you about how we are to live in this world now as your children, as your people. And why are we even gathering in this place as the church? What's the purpose of those things? And so I pray you would help us as we explore all these truths in your scripture this morning. Um, help us to hear from you clearly, Lord, and help us to obey you. We thank you, Lord, for all the transformative work you've been doing in, in our lives and our hearts. And I pray it would not be wasted, Lord, but we would truly continue to grow in our knowledge. And Lord, I, I thank you for um, all of the, the mothers uh, in our lives, Father, those who are here and maybe um, who aren't here right now, they're in different parts of the country, or we're going to be giving them phone calls later. Lord, we thank you that you provide parents, Lord, that you, by your grace and your mercy, provided a place for us to be raised in families, and you provided fathers, and you provided mothers. And we thank you for, for our moms and for all that they do and how much they give and all that they sacrifice for the sake of their children. So thank you for that gift. We ask you would bless them this morning um, as we seek to honor our mothers, Lord. And I, I thank you, Lord, for your mercy on all of those who desire to be mothers this morning here that, that cannot or that you have not provided an opening or an opportunity, Lord, for that to take place. For whatever reason, Lord, we don't know. That's something that you're walking with them through. And so I ask you would uh, bless them this morning with your grace. You would help them in their hurt. You would call them to spiritual motherhood in the church, to still be investing in the lives of, of young ladies in the church, and investing in the lives of young families. And Father, you are good, we know that, and you are faithful. And so for whatever reason, Lord, um, that some cannot conceive or have not been placed for adoption or wh- whatever the, uh, the situation is, Lord, we pray that you would, you would come and you would hear their prayer and you would provide for them and personal, unique way that only you can do. So, Lord, we thank you for all of your good gifts in our life. Thank you for this time we can come together as your people to hear from your word. Encourage us, help us, Lord. Um, May we be lights in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. So, if you've been with us for a little while, we're going through the book of Exodus, and we have... uh, as the people have at Mount Sinai, we kind of camped out with them for, for a bit. Um, God has uh, released his people, freed his people from over 400 years of bondage in Egypt. This is a promise that he gave to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, and he's, he's making good on his promise, as he does, because he is God, and so he has um, 
brought them out of Egypt through mighty acts and works. Um, He has judged Egypt and judged the gods of Egypt through many plagues. And so his people have now been released from Egypt. And then he brought them really from death to life by crossing them over the sea on dry ground. And and when the Egyptian army came to stop them and and, uh, bring them back into slavery, God destroyed them. So he has saved them, and now they are being sanctified. They're, they're in the, the desert, moving toward the promised land where they will flourish as God's people. He will be their God. They will be his people. And this is all foreshadowing. We know we've talked about this, of the life of Jesus Christ who came to die for our sins so we might cross over from death to life. And now as believers, if we put our faith in Christ, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit to help us, to convict us, to encourage us, to teach us. And so we are, we are sojourners in this world. We are, we are kind of walking through a desert, if, if you will, on our way home, being sanctified, being made holy as God is holy. And, and so in this portion of, of, of Scripture, God has made a covenant with his people And he's made a covenant to be their king, to be their protector, their provider in all things. And all the promises are theirs as his children. And their part of the covenant is to obey him, to walk in obedience. And so he is, the king has come down to visit his people and he's on Mount Sinai. And so the picture where where we're at here, so we don't forget, is is the mountain is, is shaking and trembling, even as the people are shaking and trembling at the very voice of God speaking to them. And there's thunder and there's lightning and there's smoke and there's fire. And it's just an awesome picture of God's power. And so he has come down and God is speaking and giving them his law, his moral law, the Ten Commandments. And so we are on uh, the Eighth Commandment this morning. We've walked through the first seven together, and hopefully you've seen some benefit from this. I think sometimes we approach or we come to these texts, and we've seen the movie, right? And we've, seen, we've heard this before. We know it. Let's just move on. Like, yeah, I'm not supposed to steal. I get it. I'm not a bank robber. Let's just find some other things to talk about this morning. But we see that Jesus, in the New Testament especially, he, he expands and he deepens these commandments for us, that the moral law is not just about our external behavior, but it's about our hearts. God wants all of us. He wants our hearts, not just the things that we do. And so um, we looked at what does it mean to put no other gods before him? And that if we're honest with ourselves, we put other gods before him. We have the, the gods of money and status and whatever those things are. We talked through some of those things. They become anything that is more important that takes our affection, our attention, our worship, our praise away from the true God. Those are other gods that we put before him. And so just like the Israelites have to kind of get Egypt out of them now that they are walking as his people. They're used to having a lot of gods. God's saying he's the only God. He's the true God. He's creator God. He is the great I am. He has no beginning. He has no end. He's the self-existent one. There is no one like him. Right? He's the God that inhabits eternity. He is the holy God. And he has set a holy standard for his people. And we're not to make any carved images. We're not to worship God in, our, in the wrong way. Right? And so we talked about, for some of us, we don't carve idols necessarily anymore and bow down before them, but we do have idols in our life. We, we do put our affection, our attention, our praise into things, and we, we claim to be worshiping God, but really we're worshiping that thing, that creature, that ministry, that person, right? We're, we, we fall prey to those things, so God has been helping us, hopefully, with those things. I don't want us to forget, now that we're on the eighth one, we forget about the first one, right? We have to continually keep these in front of us. And the third commandment, not to use the Lord's name in vain. We're not to profane God's name and make it something common. We're not to use his name as a curse word, as a punchline and a joke. We're not to, we're, we're to watch how we approach him with reverence and with awe. He is a holy God. And not just to use the name Christian and use the name Christ in a profane way in this world. We represent him. As believers, as followers of Jesus, we represent our Lord and our Savior. And then we looked at the the Sabbath and how it was a sign of the covenant and that our true rest is now found in Jesus Christ and that we don't have to earn or work our way to salvation. We can't do it anyway. And we need to learn to rest in him and not to constantly be striving. And, And then we looked at how to honor our father and our mother, even if they are not honorable, right? That God has given us the gift of parents and that there's a purpose in that. And how do we honor our father and mother? And really, it's, the, it's one of the foundational components of our whole society. If, we, if our family falls apart, everything falls apart. Right? So we learned about that. And then we talked about not murdering people. We shall not murder. 
And many of us may have come to that, that, that sermon or that morning thinking, I've got this one, I'm good. I finally got one, right? I like to check things off, and this is finally the one where I can, I can do something here. When we, we learn from, from the mouth of Jesus in Matthew 5 that it, if we harbor anger or hatred towards someone, if we call someone, insult them, call them an empty-headed idiot or a moron, morally worthless, essentially, when we verbally attack and assault people with our words, it's the same thing. Sin is sin. Consequences might be different, but sin is sin. And, and to the Lord, and um, related to our hearts, we are sinning when we murder others. The hidden little murders we talked about. And last week we talked about not committing adultery. And all of, all of the, the various ways that we participate in sexual immorality, specifically adultery. And how that destroys families and the fabric of society and all the repercussions of that and the one flesh, the oneness that God has created and the mystery of the spiritual union of marriage that he has defined and designed for us. And so we talked about all those things last week and I've, I've heard from more than one person that, that these have been um, very impactful and helpful but also very difficult. These have been difficult to walk through and I, I'm with you on that. It's, I, I agree. These are, these are tough ones. I've We've, I've kind of moved on to, to the next commandments, but I'm still struggling with, with the whole not, not murdering in my mind and in my heart and the anger. And the, it's just so easy, right? They're just acceptable words to call people that fit the definition. And so why not, Lord? Why can't I do this? But they're made in the image of God and they're image bearers. And how am I supposed to have compassion and to bring God's word and to bring the good news to people when I'm condemning them with my words, when I'm verbally assaulting them in my mind. How do I do that? I can't. It doesn't work. And so constantly bringing these back to the Lord, submitting these things to God, hopefully you're seeing a change in those things about not committing adultery, about just our thought life, not lusting after other people. Cleaning up the way that we, we think and, and, and the way that we interact with media, with other things in life, setting boundaries and guidelines, not to be legalistic, right? But instead to walk in the freedom that God has given us with these commandments. He's given us these guardrails, these, these places to walk freely, and we're not to go over the edge because it's harmful, not just for us, but, and we know these things, right? We know them and we see them in other people. It's having a conversation this morning. It's easy to see some of these problems in other people. But we have to see it in ourselves. And this is where coming together with other folks, coming, coming together as the church, not, not giving up, um, not forgetting to meet together often, right? So whether it's Bible studies, whether it's Sunday morning and fellowship, whether it's life groups or one-on-one times and coffee shops or discipleship types of opportunities, whatever they might be, we're inviting, we're giving other people permission to speak into our lives. We're giving other people permission. Tell me if you see something. Tell me if I'm off the, the, the rails here a little bit. Please, you, you have permission to speak into my life so that I, because I can't see what I'm doing all the time, right? Sin is very deceitful. And so how important this is to protect our lives. And, and, and this is just, this is serious stuff. God is calling us the great commandment to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're to love him with everything that we are. And although we prefer a different translation that says, love the Lord your God with part of your heart and a portion of your soul and some of your mind occasionally if you get to it and, and some of your strength and maybe if you've got time. Right? We, that's not what it says. It's all of us all the time. But we're also to love our neighbor as ourself. And we can rattle those off and we, we memorize those and we shake our heads yes, but do we do? How do we love our neighbors? By We honor our father and our mother. And by doing so, we honor God. And when we honor our father and mother, we are raised in a way that is healthy. And by doing that, we, we come out of the family, hopefully, as healthy citizens, contributors, Christians, believers in this world. Instead of constantly at battle and at odds. And so we don't know how to submit to authority now because we never did it at home. So I'm not going to listen to my boss because he he's a jerk. He doesn't know what he's talking about, right? I'm not going to listen to God especially because God's not, right? We, we, it has ramifications. The, the, the home is the training ground for us to be good neighbors. And when we're not thinking about people negatively and calling them names and verbally assaulting them or physically assaulting them, or when we're not doing these things and causing damage, we're loving our neighbor as ourselves. We're, we're supposed to take care of people like we take care of ourselves. The problem is we just focus on self and not our neighbor. By doing that, we actually harm ourselves. And so hopefully you're hearing some of these things. You're seeing the places that need to change. And, and today's no different as we come to verse 15. 
as God is speaking to his people and saying, this is what it means to be holy. I want you to be different and set apart and be other in this world. You're going to be a light to the nations, and this is how you do it. Verse 15, you shall not steal. Once again, you might say, I'm good. Let's check that one off. I'm not a serial, I'm not a bank robber. I don't take the, I'm not a kleptomaniac, right? Maybe I take an extra water bottle or two as I leave the, the church, but those are free. Everybody knows that, right? <laughs> you're, you're fine. <laughs> but I'm good with these. So we, one of the things to look at with the, the commandments are they move from kind of greater to lesser. It's kind of the, the bigger, more egregious sin. And then all of the lesser sins are kind of under the same category. So when we think of murder, taking the life of someone unlawfully, all of the, the lesser sins are still under the same category of sin. And so with stealing, it's the same thing. We might not physically be taking things from people, or maybe we do, but that's obviously as part of the Eighth Commandment, but we might not be physically taking things from people, but we can steal in a lot of other ways. So I, I would suspect, I'm pretty confident that by the end of the sermon, there would be some component of stealing that we talk about that we engage in today, that we've justified, that we've said this is... It's not a really big deal. And then there's the, the positive side of each one of these commandments as well. We're not to steal. We're not to unlawfully take something that doesn't belong to us. But as believers, the, the bar is set much higher than that. It's not just not stealing. We are to be generous. We are to be giving. We are to look for ways to bless people. <clears throat> and so let's talk about a little bit about what it means. What, what is this definition of stealing for us? So the unlawful taking of possessions belonging to another. So taking something that does not belong to you. We all get this, right? And so typically we don't take things from people, hopefully. Um, but what are, some, what are some more basic ways that maybe we do we don't think about it? Um, if you're within your home, you know, siblings, maybe you take clothes from your sibling's closet and you just borrow them, but you never give it back, right? You take it without their permission. You take, other, take one of their toys, take something that belongs to them without their permission. That's stealing. And if you think about stealing, um, if God tells us not to steal, taking someone else's possession, that means that possessions are okay. God expects us to have possessions. We're not to live in this giant commune bubble and everyone can just take whatever they want, Right? We are to be generous and give freely, but, but having possession is okay. Ultimately, we are stewards of all that God's given us. Right? We are managers of the gifts that God provides, but we're still managers. It's still something for us to manage and to, to be good stewards with. And so we're not to take other people's property. And so those are, those are little things that we do sometimes. Um, <clears throat> if you go out to dinner and your wife gets a dessert, but she doesn't eat it and takes it home instead and puts it in the fridge, and you go to the fridge later, guys, at 11 at night, and you see the, well, she didn't eat it. She must not want it. Well, is that yours? Right? As long as you leave a little bit, you're, you're fine, right? As long as you leave a little bit. So we understand the whole physical property taking. Those things, if you, if you, if you have in the past, or if you shoplift, if you, just, if, if, you have a, if you have a sense that something belongs to you and you're justified because someone treated you poorly or you're owed this, it's not yours unless it's given to you, unless you've earned it. So those are things um, in the, under the category of physical property. The other thing is the theft of a person. Kidnapping, if you've ever thought of that, maybe. Kidnapping, slavery, so the, the slave trade, and we would think of the African slave trade in our history in America. And we'll be talking a little bit more about this in, this, in the chapters to come. Uh, God will give laws on slavery specific to a different type of slavery in the ancient Near East and even in first century Rome more indebted servitude, but we'll talk about those things. But any stealing of a person and selling that person is unlawful under the Eighth Commandment. The sex trade is more current for us, sex trafficking. Those would fall under the Eighth Commandment. Those are things that we are to be mindful of, not to just ignore and consider that that's someone else's problem somewhere else. As believers, we are not to be committing these, these crimes and these sins, but also looking to lighten the burden of these sins in the world around us, looking to be engaged in activity that brings people out of, this, uh, of these horrible situations. Exodus 21.16, God speaks on these, two thing, on these things as well. Uh, he says, Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him, shall be put to death. Shall be put to death. The death penalty was to be incurred on anyone stealing a person and selling that person. Deuteronomy 24.7, if a man is found stealing one of his brothers of the people of Israel, and if he treats him as a slave or sells him, 
then that thief shall die. You shall purge the evil from your midst. And we've seen the same verbiage. You shall purge the evil from your midst. God wants a holy people. And they're not to be committing these egregious sins against him. And these are serious sins. God takes it seriously. And so theft of physical property, theft of a person. The other one that I think we find ourselves in a lot of times, which is still very rampant in scripture, rampant in our society, is the theft from dishonest practices. Right? Dishonest practices. So that would be anything from like fraud, extortion, embezzlement, uh, fudging numbers, if you will, right? falsifying information. I was reading, there's... Um, a few commentaries, and multiple people brought up this painting by Norman Rockwell. Um, he, he, he did a lot of illustrations of paintings on everyday life, and it's this picture of this, this, uh, this butcher with his apron on and looking all professional and this nicely dressed lady as a customer on the other side, and there's a, there's a, there's a scale, and she, and she has some, some poultry in the scale. And on one side of it, under the paper, the butcher is pushing down on the scale, Right, to make it seem like it weighs more so that he can get more money. And on the other side, the lady is pushing up on the scale. Right? And this is what we do. We, we try to get a little, try to squeeze a few extra dollars out, try to get something that's not ours. And it, it was kind of, it's just an interesting, it's a brilliant commentary on what we do to one another. And so any type of practice, whether from someone selling something, whether it's false advertising or marketing practices, I don't know, you know, the first time that I went to the store and saw this giant bag of chips and thought, oh, this is awesome, man. This, these people, they really give you a lot for your money and you open the bag and it's this full. It's all air, right? And, you're fr- and now I just don't trust it anymore. I'm shaking it. I don't know what's in there. The ones that are deflated a little bit more, you can tell. But they, 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 they make something, they package things, toys that are this big, come in a package this big now. Number one, so that no one could ever steal it, I'm assuming, from the store. But also, it just it seems more impressive. It seems like you're getting more for your money, but you're not. You're just paying for tons of packaging, right? It's useless. So how are we interacting with one another and with, with integrity, are we stealing from one another? And so there's, there's, there's a lot in scripture about measurements, scales and weights, about how we do commerce together. Proverbs is just, the more I read Proverbs, the more I love uh, just the wisdom, but the, it's, it's just the straight shooter type of thing, right? We just get, get the no holds barred, unabashed truth. In Proverbs 11.1 1 says, the Lord detests dishonest scales. But accurate weights find favor with him. In Proverbs 20.10, unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. What, 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 was, what typically happens is the people that are getting cheated out of these things are the people that are poor, right? Or the people that, that don't know any better, a little more naive. And so God, that's an abomination to the Lord to cheat people, to take things from them that, that they need, number one, but, this, but that's not theirs to begin with. Those who take things and cheat people, and get rich off of that. Proverbs twenty seventeen: bread gained by deceit is sweet to the man, but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel. It's pretty, some pretty clear imagery, right? We think, we think we've got away with something. We think this is great. It ultimately just leaves us with this, this, this gravel in our mouths, this sharp stones. It, it, it gives us nothing but pain. And that was really one of the, G- the reasons Jesus in Mark 11, as he, as he came and cleared the temple, right? It's to be a house of prayer, not a den of robbers. Why were they, there were money changers in there who were doing practices that were, that were not above reproach, right? There, there were, the people were being forced as they traveled from long ways. If they wanted to provide a sacrifice, they were forced to, to buy whatever was, was available there because they, they, they couldn't bring all of those with them, all the sacrifice. So they, so the, they would just... They would just gouge them. They price gouge them. And so these are people that, that didn't have a lot of money, didn't have a lot of things. And, and so these unethical practices, the stealing from people was happening in the house of God. And so God has a lot to say about this type of stealing. For our current context, em- employers and employees. <clears throat> employers steal when they don't pay an employee their fair wage. And I'm not talking about the political debate right now with uh, minimum wage and all those things, that's, that's, a, that's kind of a different discussion. The idea here is you should get paid a fair wage based on your, your skill, your education, your contribution, right? 
the type of work that you're doing, all those things should come into factor. So if you're not getting paid fairly for a job that you should be getting paid for, then of course, that's not fair. Employers can steal from their employees by doing that. In our age now, we have the problem too of, of work never ending because we take our work everywhere with us in our pockets, right? We always have access to email and texting. And so people expect us to be on call 24-7, yet they still pay us for, for a certain, certain amount of hours. And so to some degree, that's stealing from your employee because you've, you've contracted to do this work and now because of technology, you're expecting them to do more work. So we have to be ethical. We have to think through these things. How are we stealing from people? So employers, we need to make sure that we're providing a fair wage, fair hours with people. James 5.4 speaks to this. When James is speaking to the rich, the self-indulgent, kind of the corrupt people focused on self and the rich getting richer, he says, behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So these are laborers. These are folks who hired, they were hired to do a job. They did the job. And then the employers kept back their, their pay by fraud. They, they defrauded them somehow. And so those people are crying out to the Lord. They're crying out against them. And God hears them and he knows. So, Employers can steal from employees. Employees steal from employers. Right? One of the largest areas of, of or percentages of theft in our nation is both shoplift. It's all mostly retail, both shoplifting as well as employees stealing from, from employers. It's a, it's, a, it's a large percentage. But the other ways employees steal is when they don't work a full day's wage. Right? So the other side of this is when employees waste time while they're at work. So they're being paid, uh, you know, there's a contract, we want you to work 40 hours, and then for 40 hours, we're going to pay you X amount. And this is a recent, this is a 2021 study saying the average American wastes 2.09 hours per eight-hour workday. So 2.09 hours out of an eight-hour workday are wasted. And so the different ways that we waste time... Internet for personal use, almost half of that, 45%. So the internet is the time killer, right? It's the waster. So whether it's on the phone, whether it's social media, whether it's just doing things for personal use, um, 45% of of that 2.9 hours, uh, 2.09 hours per day is internet use, socializing with other people. So I don't know how much that happens anymore with Zooming and COVID, but in general, when people are at work, Socializing with other people takes up about 24% of that wasted time. 4% is just spacing out. So you're just like, whatever, right? And you're just wondering why you're there. You're not thinking about it. (laughs) We can all agree with that one, I think. Uh, 2% is applying for another job. So after you space out, you realize, I can't be here anymore. You spend 2% of your time applying for other right? And then the other is 25% is just other various things. And I remember working my first job out of college at a computer software company, CompuWare out of Detroit, and I was in a cubicle, right? And we were, I was product support, so I'd take calls from end users, and I'd, I'd listen to whatever problems they were having with the software. I'd recreate the bug in our system, and then I'd pass it on to really smart people to fix it, and then I would interact with them and get the patches to them so they get it all fixed up. And, and we were in a call queue, so um, we were, you know, after you take a call, it would go to the next person in the team. There were six of us, so that we're all, all taking calls all the time. And there was someone who worked behind me who really never took call. They'd always put theirs on, on pause or on hold or whatever it was. And so I would just keep getting extra calls, right? And I could hear the person behind me. They were on the phone getting their warranty filled for their fridge or they were, they were talking to someone about, you know, some issue at the house or their kid's thing or whatever. And they, they waste, most of their day was doing personal things, personal tasks or errands or whatever it was sitting at their desk. And so not only did that break the eighth commandment, they were stealing from the company, but it caused me to consider breaking the sixth commandment over and over again, right? Because it just creates frustration. You, you, it's really hard to work in an environment where other people are not working and you are, right? And you're, you're picking up the slack for them. And so just the ripple effect here, typically when we break one command, we don't just break one, we break more than one. So there's a problem here. We have to be considerate of that. So I did the math here um, based on this study, and this is an average uh, 2.09 hours per eight-hour workday comes to 10.45 hours per week you're not working. That's 26% of your week just wasted. That's 29. So you're getting paid for 29.55 hours, but you are um, contracted to work 40 hours. 
And so as much as um, we might not think that we do these types of things, if you, look at your, if you look at your time at work and how much time you actually spend doing the work versus well, as long as I get my work done, well, m- maybe if you have a contract with your employer that as long as you get your work done and you have flex time, then that's your contract. But if your employer needs you to work this many hours and you say yes to that and you sign a piece of paper and shake a hand and say, I will do this as a believer in Jesus Christ, this is what you're called to do then. Otherwise, you are stealing from your company. And you might have some justification for that. I don't know. But you need to take that before the Lord. Is this something that I'm doing? You'd have to kind of draw that line, right? There was a movie many of you have seen, probably um, Cinderella Man with uh, Russell Crowe. Uh, it's a Ron Howard film. Came out early 2000s, I think. Um, but Russell Crowe, uh, it was a, based on a true story of a boxer named James Braddock. He was a boxer during the Depression era. So he was successful um, right up until the Great Depression hit, and then we find him and his family in destitute, really. They're, they're kind of in a, a basement apartment, barely have nothing to, to heat their home. They're just breaking chairs up and hardly have any food. And uh, Braddock ends up being, at the end of this, I mean, he's the Cinderella man, so he has a comeback, kind of fighting for the little guy because he's trying to work on the docks, but ultimately becomes, in real life, the heavyweight champion in 1935 through 37. And... Um, one of those really good stories and one of those really warm-hearted Ron Howard stories, right? But it's based on a true story. And, and, and Russell Crowe's character, James Braddock, has a family. He's got young kids. And at that time, a lot of people were sending their children away to live with other family members or because they couldn't afford to feed them. They just couldn't afford to even have another child. And so one of his sons uh, stole uh, a big salami from the butcher's window and brought it home. And... Um, and his father wasn't having any of that, so, so Braddock took his son back to the butcher shop, made him give it back to the, to the man and apologize. And, and he bent down and, and told his son, he, he said, he, he'd see the fear in his eyes. He didn't want to be, be sent off to live with someone else. He was, he was afraid that his family was going to fall apart. And Braddock just, just told him, he's like, we don't steal no matter what. We don't steal no matter what. A lot of people are worse off than us. And so he's giving his son a life lesson here that it's never okay, right? There will be provision. He needs to trust his dad in this, in this situation. And just like that, for us, if this is a trust issue for us, if we feel like, like we need something that we don't have, we need to take that to the Lord, right? Ask him and God will provide for you. He will let you know if, if you really need that or not. He will give you exactly what you need, not just what you want. And so we need to trust God with those things. If, you're, if you steal, whether it's time, whether it's paper clips or paper out of the printer or whatever it might be, all the little things that we do, if, if that's really, if those are things that we're stealing, and we feel like in our mind we have this Robin Hood principle that, well, this is a big company, they'll never miss it, right? Or they owe me for this. Or I'm, we find some justification. If that's who we are, then our heart is wrong then we're either doing it because we don't trust God and his provision or we're doing it because we're angry with someone and we think they owe us something that they don't. Either way, we're sinning against the Lord. We're not walking as men and women who are called to be holy before a holy God. And you might think, well, this is just it's such a small thing, right? It's just some printers. It's, it's just some time. It's just, no. What, what, happens to, what happens when we begin to break God's law and say, no, God, you don't understand Right? I'm the exception to the rule. Then we begin to break other laws of God. We begin to think we're above obeying him, that he really doesn't understand, that we have to take control of our own life. It's a small little start, but it turns into this big thing. We have to be careful with that. <clears throat> and, and we've seen this. <laughs> we've seen this when, uh, when, it, when it came to the pandemic. This, I mean, it's been a year now, a little over a year since this thing hit. And the statistics that came out in, in March and April of 2020 of theft was, was pretty interesting. We've always had a nation of thievery to some degree. We've, we've always seen people take things that aren't theirs. We see bank robbers. I mean, people that still keep trying to do these things, even with all the technology and DNA and everything else, they still try. They, they spend so much time. They would be incredible entrepreneurs that would have incredible businesses if they put all their energy into something good. But instead, they want to steal and take that's not theirs. And so they, we have criminals still doing that. But, but just when you think the bar couldn't be set any lower, right? The, the criminal minds in our country targeted something that was of, like, I guess it made sense at the time, but, but it seems to me like we've really hit the gutter when we start stealing toilet paper around the, country, around the world, right? This is not just, and some of you, maybe you felt that you needed to 
take that roll of toilet paper out of the restaurant before you left, or, or maybe you're like some of these people. I mean, we, there's, there are instances where cargo, cargo holders, so like um, the cargo containers that go in 18-wheelers that go on ships, those types of things, the theft for those particular items went up 130% just in a couple months. 130%. And it was all toilet paper, hand sanitizer, and N95 masks. That was it. So the criminal enterprise went after the things that people wanted most. But then there's other, there, there other situations in Hong Kong. There was a string of robberies of people at knife point stealing 600 rolls of toilet paper, and they were caught. In Australia, there was another string of grocery store robberies, and all these guys, they were going into the grocery stores, and they were robbing not the cashier, not the money. Not, they were robbing them for, they were taking toilet paper at knife point. I don't know if I would be scared or just be laughing at that point. Like, I'm so sorry for your life. I will give you more toilet paper. Like, right? That's what, they, that's what they were going after. There was a truck in North Carolina that, so these guys stole a big truck, a big, like, moving van truck, and then they went and stole 18,000 pounds of toilet paper in the truck. And they were, of course, caught. All these people were caught. There were, there were a rise, an uptick of people being pulled over for open containers and DUI. And when they went to search the car, which you typically search looking for guns or money or, or drugs, they were finding trunks full of toilet paper from hotels and hotel lobbies. I mean, seriously, this is where we've come. Why is that? Why, why are we being lowered to this point of, well, it's out of fear, right? There was a whole fear thing that even caused the shortage in the first place of people hoarding and taking. And I remember being in line and at Target during like the, the beginning of all this thing and everything was being off the, taken off the shelves. So I'm like, well, I guess I'll, I'll, I, there was no toilet paper, but I guess I'll stock up on a few things in case I don't know what's going on here. It was kind of strange. And so I shopped for food and got, as I was approaching the line, a lady literally cut me off and, and took my place in line. And the cashier looked at me and the guy behind me and I was like, it's fine. Just let her, she was, she was not even looking. She was just, she, you could tell she was scared, Right. And so there was a little bit of compassion, and she had toilet paper, a whole bunch of it. But then she also had just beans. And I'm like, you're working against yourself here. You're, you're going to use it up. Like, what? But this is what happens to us, right? Wisdom goes out the door when we, when we live in fear. And so we're not to work for ourselves and to be self-indulgent and to take the things that aren't ours. That's not, we, we trust the Lord for our provision. We work hard, but we trust the Lord. And so stealing from others is, is easy. We, we understand that. Um, and what is God calling us to do instead? Whether it's at work. I think that's one of the places we struggle with. I think they owe me this time and they owe me this. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Our, our devotion is to be to him, right? Fully. And if we believe that he is the God who provides, we believe he's the creator God, the sovereign of the universe, then God can, he can, he can handle a few groceries that we need. He can, I'm sure God can provide us with paper clips. He can give us some paper if we need it at home. God is faithful to all the little things in our life. We don't have to take those things unlawfully. And when we do so, we, we really, we hurt our witness as well. We're to be on, on mission. We're to be taking the good news of Jesus Christ to the world around us. What does it say if we're telling someone that Jesus loves them, that he's the only way to salvation, that we can, we can have peace with God, through the blood of Christ. We can have eternity with God and then they see us in the storeroom taking stuff that's not ours. They see us wasting time at our desks. It's, it's incongruent. It doesn't work. And so stealing from others is, is one thing. And obviously, as I mentioned earlier, Christ never lowers the bar in, in the New Testament. He, he, ra- he raises it. He, he expands and he deepens. Right? So we're not only to stop stealing, we're to be generous. But one way that we, maybe we haven't considered, I didn't really think about this till I got in it a little bit, because I, I don't think we ever really ask this question, or, or we don't assume that we're doing this. But not only do we steal from others, we can actually steal from God. We can steal from him. And, and this is not one of those, okay, here comes the guilt trip on, on things, and here comes the, the money talk, and the money talk will come in a little while, in, in chapter 25 about giving. We'll, we'll address it a little bit here, but what about our time, our talent, our gifts that God gives us to serve, and, and our finances? All the things that, that God has provided for us, do we give those things back, or do we steal from him? Do we take them for our own? Are we consumers only? Or are we generous givers? And so we, we might ask, well, I can't, I can't rob God. How do I rob God? Well, there's, there's some um, precedent uh, for this. And, 
And this, this talks specifically about money, but we know that money is tied to our hearts, right? Where a treasurer, there, there our heart is. So you've heard the old um, example of the, the pastor wanting to talk to a gentleman who has some problems in his life and he's having priority issues and just things aren't going the way he thought. He's having marital issues. He's having all these things. And, and the pastor's, okay, let's meet at this time and this day and bring your checkbook with you. And the guy's like, oh, sure, of course, they're going to ask me for money. And, and the pastor's like, no, I'm not asking you for money. I just want to see what's important to you. I want to see where your heart is. And that's from the days of checkbooks, I know. So they would show me your app, right? <clears throat> your budget. Well, either way, whatever we spend our money on, kind of that's where, that's where our focus is because that's what's important to us. And it makes sense. And, and God says the same thing here in Malachi chapter 3. And this is, once again, um, Israel has, has been back from exile for about 100 years and the priesthood is corrupt and people are just, they've just gotten lazy. There's spiritual apathy. Where is God really? Is he really a God that's for us? They're questioning his goodness and ultimately they're continuing to break his covenant even after he's restored them. And so God is calling them out on this, but in a very gracious way. It says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. So that's just a gracious response to the breaking of the covenant continually of his people. Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? So they're asking the question. God's anticipating the question. He knows their hearts. What do you mean? How do we return to you? And God gives them one specific way. He says, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, so God's saying, what there's on their hearts again, how have we robbed you? And God says, in your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, and you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and of your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So God is addressing theft from him. Now, you might think it's impossible. <laughs> How do you steal from God? He, um, he probably has the greatest security system in place, right? It's simply omniscient. He's, he's there all the time. He doesn't need, you don't need installation. There's no contracts. There's nothing. He's there. He knows you can't steal from him. There's no way to reach into the storehouses of heaven and take from God. You can't do that. How do you rob God? God has set in place a provision for his people, for the Levites, for the, for the priesthood, for his people and their feasts, and he's put a provision for the poor. And God says, I want you to give your tithe and your offerings. To, he, he has commanded them, and they have held back. They have given half of those things or less than those things. And what, is that, what, is that, what does that really exhibit for us? What does that express? That I'm just giving you half of my heart. It just speaks to their spiritual apathy. They, they don't really believe God is God anymore. They, they want to take things in, in their own hands and do things their own way. And God, you don't know what you're talking about. And No, God says, I want you to do this. I want you to, to tithe so there's food in my house. And tithing for them was off of the, the first fruits of their crops and of their livestock. And a tithe in, for Israel was actually, we, we think about a tithe, this t- a tithe means 10%. But there were three different tithes going on here, depending on, on, on some of the people that you read and some of the scholarship on this. But in general, the consensus is um, there was a tithe to the, to the priesthood, to the Levites, to take care of those who were doing the spiritual work of God on, on behalf of the people in the temple, right? They were doing the sacrifices. They were teaching God's work. They, they were doing the spiritual work, and so they were to be provided for. And then even the Levites, and you can look this up in, in Numbers, um, where are we at? Numbers chapter 18 um, is the Levitical tithe, the sacred tithe. That's 10% of their annual income, really all the stuff, all the first fruits of their, of their labor, and so even the Levites, though, they had the tithe off of that tithe. It was all about the heart, giving back to the Lord what belongs to him. God provided prosperity, and so this was an acknowledgement of that, so that we don't grab and take things, and those become idols and things that we worship, and we begin to depend on ourselves, and we, we fall prey to that very much in, in our country. So there was a Levitical tithe, there was a tithe of feasts in Deuteronomy 14, it was also 10%, then there was a tithe for the poor, which was every three years, so it actually comes out to be 23.3% was their actual giving responsibility 
if you look at the, these three specific tithes in the Old Testament. And that's not, not including just other offerings and things that God would have, have them give. What was the percentage in that important? Well, God just, he, 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 knew, he knew that he needed, it needs to cost us something, right? It needs to cost us something. And so they're giving whatever they wanted to. They're, they're not giving the full contribution, and so they're robbing God. They're taking from him that which belongs to him anyway. It's all his money. It's all his crops. It's all his livestock. It's his. It belongs to him. He has given it to his people to be stewards, to be a blessing. To provide for them, yes, but not for them to hoard and to take. And to, That was not the purpose of it. And ultimately, they were disobeying the living God, and they were harming themselves as a result. And so this is one way that we see in Scripture where the God's people tried to rob him. They didn't trust him. And ultimately, they robbed themselves, really, of their, of their own blessing, if you think about it. <clears throat> and so, when it comes to, to giving, and like I said, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that um, on another day in more detail, um, just to give us a quick, um, quick insight into this. The tithe for us as New Testament believers, it's, it's, it's not carried over. We're not under the law anymore. There's no real discussion about that in the New Testament. So the tithe tends to be a good place to start for Christians. It's, it's not a bad thing to take 10% of your income, but those who are more legalistic about it will say, no, the Bible says you need to have 10% off the gross, off the first fruits. That's, that's your, your giving to the church. Well, um, we see in Scripture that we are to be cheerful givers, right? 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so we, we give because we, we want to, right? Not because we're obligated to. We give because we, we want to be part of what God's doing here. Just like at your own home, you know, if we, if, we, if we like this building, we think this building is useful. We don't need this building to be the church, but if we see this as being useful for us, for worship, for gathering, um, for study, for encouragement, uh, for our gospel mission to go out, for other people to come in, I mean, if we think this is useful, there's, there are lights, right? There's utilities, there's furniture, there's insurance, there's all the same things that you would have in your home. And so um, we need to pay for those things. We need to give to the Lord because we believe in the mission that, that, we're, that we're involved in. If we want to take the gospel out, the good news out, and we want to be together as God's people, we can do that with this building. We can do it with a rented gym. We can do it from our homes. But ultimately, whatever we decide to be God's will for us as a church, we need to fund that. That's why as members of the church, we make decisions on those things once a year. We commit to giving to the church for the sake of ministry. We, we give a, a good portion of our of our funds to, um, to missions as a whole. So local missions and regional and global missions, the people that are out there doing the work of the ministry where we can't do the work, they're out there an extension of this body doing that work, and we support them in prayer. We support them financially. And once again, this is not something that God needs from us, but we need to be givers so that our hearts are secure in him, that we depend on him. And so we need to consider that. And honestly, it, it's, not a, it's not a great picture in the church as a whole. The average Christian gives about 2.5% of their income to the church. 37% of most church attenders, 37% of church attenders as a whole don't give anything to the church. Now, there's, there's issues with that. And once again, we'll come back to it. I don't want to shy away from this because sometimes we don't know because we're not taught, Right? We're to be generous givers. We're to consider, decide in our heart, get together with our spouses, spend time in prayer, talk to the Lord. Lord, what, what do you want me to give? Then look at the needs. What, what, what is necessary for, the, for this gospel mission to go out? If I believe in the mission, and I, here's the part of the problem, though. If we're not invested in the church, if we're just consumers, we don't see all the needs. We don't understand what's going on because we're not, we're not involved. We're not serving. Jeff came up and talked about serving in chapel kids. We, we, we're running a skeleton crew here still. For some, we have grown in number, but we have not grown in, in service and volunteerism. And if, if that's you and you just don't know what to do, next Sunday, right after service, we're going to have a, a next steps class where you can sit down with me and just get to know one another, talk about the church, talk about membership, talk about places that you can serve. But we're, to, we're not just to give our, our treasure and our, our, our offering, but we're to give our service to the Lord too. Sometimes we don't give because we don't know what's going on. We're not invested, Right. So that's part of the way to help you to become more generous in your giving as the Lord would lead you. And this is according to what you have and as God gives you. There, there's, no, there's no, this is not about guilt. This is just God's word that he, he expects us 
to give of ourselves, our time. He expects us to give of our talents. He gives us gifts. We see this in Romans chapter, chapter 12, which is a big one for us that we memorize, but we don't always follow through with. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Why? Because we've been purchased. We've been bought with a price. We're not our own. We don't, if we really belong to the Lord fully, if he is our everything, if we are devoted to him fully, if we say those words, then, then we don't hold back anything. And part of our life is our time. Part of our life are our skills and our gifts, the things we have to offer. And part of our, our life is our money. And we give those things back to the Lord cheerfully and God blesses us because of that. How much, how much of a blessing is it to give when you know there's a need and you meet that need because God's given you enough money to meet that need. There's great joy. You want to do that again, right? It's fun. And when it comes to our spiritual gifts, following through on his thoughts in Roman 12, for as in one body, verse four, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So, the body of Christ, the church, the gathering of God's people, there are many members. There are many of you. And we're not all gifted in the same way, right? We don't all have the same function. So if you expect that one person who's just dedicated and faithful and they like to serve to do everything, you're wrong. They can't do everything. Why do people burn out? Because they're not serving in the area of giftedness. Because they're not serving in the area that they really enjoy, that they're interested in, because God's made them uniquely. So what are you interested in? How are you gifted? How, how are you to serve the body? You are a member of the body. We can't stand it when one of our body parts doesn't work, right? You ever have your arm just fall asleep for a little while and you're trying to get this thing awake? That's not very much fun, right? Or if you twist, you twist an ankle or something and you're on crutches for a while, it, it, it hinders you, right? It slows you down. It causes more pain. There's imbalances that take place. It's, it can be painful. As members of the body, if you are not investing and contributing to the whole, you're the arm that fell asleep, and we're going to do this the best that we can, right? But ultimately, you've got to wake up. You've got to be part of what God is doing here. We can't do this without you. And for those of you who think, I have nothing to offer, you're wrong. You're a son or daughter of the living God who has blessed you with his grace and salvation. Your Lord and Savior is Jesus Christ. You are indwelled with the Holy Spirit of God. Think about that, the Holy Spirit of God who hovered over the formless earth. Who was, <laughs> this is the Spirit of God indwells you and gives you gifts not for yourself, for others, to bless others, to love others, to serve others, to encourage others. That's why your gifts exist. And your, your Christian life will continue to be very deficient and very um, unsatisfactory. You will be discontent and frustrated if you're not using these gifts because they are meant for you. They're meant to bless you. God, where is my blessing? Lord, why can't I, why can't I hear from you more? Lord, why, why are you not blessing me? Why are you not helping me? Because you're disobeying him. He's still gracious. He's still there. You're harming yourself, not to mention the body of Christ. I would, I would imagine that none of us here as parents would, would sit in a house where our kids are sitting on their, on their couches or whatever, on their devices, and the parents are doing all the work, and we wouldn't expect them to get up and contribute to the body, right? to contribute to the family. We wouldn't allow it. Why? Because it's harmful, because the parents are going to get tired, <laughs> We're to be together, moving forward together. And so part of our giving is understanding that this, this all is here for a reason. God has work for us to do. And so we give financially. We give of our time. We reprioritize our life so we have time. We give of our, our gifts. And God has gifted each one of us. We just maybe have to discover those things, and that's okay. If you can go through a discovery period of trying some, some service, and if, you, if it's not you, you, you can have the freedom to say, this is not me. I need to step out into something else. That's okay. We're not here to use you for ministry. That's not the purpose of this. You're not here to be used up just for the sake of ministry. We want you to be engaged in ministry because that's what helps you grow. That's what helps you grow it, with God's people, with God himself. Paul in Ephesians 4. I'll close here. There's another story you might want to read Zacchaeus, the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19. I didn't get to this morning, but it's a great story of, of really um, restitution. Someone who was a, a, essentially a publican, he was a tax collector, essentially a thief. And then when he met Jesus, and Jesus asked to go stay at his house, um, his whole life turned. Jesus didn't tell him to do anything, and yet he, he felt compelled to give away much of his wealth 
to go back if there's anyone he defrauded to give them back four times what he took from them. And this man was life was changed. Before money was everything. Now money is nothing, right? That's what Jesus does for us. So we shouldn't have to steal at all. And as a new believer, Paul uh, shares this with us or helps us with this as we close. Uh, Ephesians 4, verse 25 through 27. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, these are all the, the, the old self we've put away, all falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And this should be part of our motivation is to honor God by giving to others. We can't give to others if we're not working hard. And so if you just punch the clock and want to get out of there and don't really care about your, you, you need to consider how are you working unto the Lord or unto men? How are you working unto the Lord or just for your own personal satisfaction? You're just looking for the paycheck or does work mean something to you? Meaning you're honoring the Lord. You're, you're getting a paycheck so you can provide for yourself and ultimately you're trusting God so you can provide for other people in need. That's the focus here. Not just self-provision, but really looking outward once again. How can I help others? How can, I, how can I go to my job and work these hours and collect this paycheck? Not so I can just keep things for myself and I'm trying to get that vacation life. Those are all fine. You can provide for yourself. God wants you to enjoy your money too. That's not, that's not what he's saying here. But our focus should also be how can I help others in need? Because there are plenty of people that need help. The most generous givers tend to be people with very little because they, they know how much a little bit will help a great deal in their life. And those of us who have abundance, sometimes we feel like, well, I don't have enough. When I get to this point, when I get this much of my forward, when I get this much, if I, get, if I can get this bonus, then I'll start giving more. And I, no, that's not, that's not what this is about. We've become trapped. We've become focused. We've become focused on our money, on what, what, what things that we want to do. It's self-preservation, self-indulgence, more than what does God want us to do with our time, our talents, our treasure. Alistair Begg says the following, when we fail to recognize the fact that God is Lord of our finances and that all our resources are essentially on loan from him, we will fail to honor him in these money matters and thus be guilty of stealing from him. When we use our breath to magnify ourselves rather than giving him the glory that he alone deserves, we steal from him. When we fail to offer our bodies as living sacrifices and spend our time in personal self-indulgence, we steal from him. If your life truly belongs to the Lord, if you've given yourself to him, Lord, take all of me, right? Jesus, take all of me. I'm, I'm fully devoted to you, Lord. Then you can't hold back anything. So take some time this week and consider this eighth commandment. How might you be stealing from others? Whether it's physical stealing, whether it's stealing time or from employers or stealing from someone in your own home some way, stealing someone's reputation by slandering them, stealing by plagiarizing. I mean, there's a whole host of applications here for us. How are we not walking in integrity and holiness according to God's word? Consider those things. Spend time with the Father. Ask him, Lord, how am I stealing from you? You've given me all these things, and what am I giving back? And what blessing am I missing out on by not doing that, Lord? Ask him. Seek the Lord in these things, and then... um, Feel free to talk to myself, one of the other elders, if, if you have questions. Like I said, next week, right after service, we will have a next steps class. If you, if you want to consider serving in the body, how God might be growing you through service and then helping the body as well, um, we'd love to have you join us. It's the, no RSVP, just stay after the service. We'll give you a snack and um, help, help you get connected too so that you get to know God's people and get to know this church a little better. So, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are sovereign and you are the great provider. You give us everything we need, Lord. Really, what we need more of is you. Um, we are very deficient, Lord, when it comes to our devotion. Father, we, we ask for forgiveness. We repent of our sin, of a half-hearted, apathetic Christianity that really seeks the comfort of self over the blessing of others, Lord. And we do this, and we do this, some of us... Uh, we do it often, others of us sporadically, Lord, but ultimately we, we fall short. We know that. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died on the cross and you, you died among transgressors. You died between two thieves, taking the, the punishment for our theft, for our sin upon yourself. 
But Lord, we thank you for the promise that you made to the thief that believed in you, asked you to remember him. Your promise was that he would be with you that day in paradise and that we can be forgiven if we put our faith in you, Lord Jesus. There's nothing else that will save. No one else that can save us. So we thank you for that truth, Lord. We thank you we belong to you, that we can walk in holiness. We no longer have to walk as thieves in this world, taking things that are not ours, justifying robbery to make our to make our minds feel better about injustice in this world. There will be injustice. This is a fallen world. So Lord, I pray you would convict our hearts that we would not be people that steal anything. We would not cheat on our taxes, stealing from the government. Yes, Lord, we know the government at times steals from us and from our, from our future with how they, how they spend um, without any plan, Lord, and just go into debt recklessly, Father. We know that, but that's no justification for us to then do what we want to do, Father. You called us to obey you, and so we will. We will do what is right and what is good. That is a witness in this world. We are to be a light among the nations, not, not commiserate with them to go along with the current. Father, in all these things, please transform us to be men and women of integrity. Look to you for our provision that trusts you fully, that have the freedom to be able to give of ourselves in all areas of our life, Lord, without any hindrance, that we may experience your great blessing. Thank you for this church. Thank you for all these people that have come this morning. Um, I, I, I truly pray for your help to walk with you this week. We desperately need you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from the Word of God. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to visit Black Forest Chapel in Black Forest, Colorado, near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs. You'll find biblical teaching and authentic worship in an environment that feels like family and friends. Get directions and more information at blackforestchapel.org.